Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Friday, August 20th, 2021. Do you read Christian biographies? I do. I love them. They're a great source of encouragement to me. They're always a terrific reminder of God's perfect sovereignty, especially biographies about missionaries. Whether I'm reading about Jim Elliott, Darlene Rose, Brother Andrew, Bob Fu, or even George Mueller, there's a common pattern to every single story. Someone is on a mission from God. The plans of man, they seem to go awry. There is suffering involved, usually on a very deep level, and then God uses the specific suffering to bring about salvation and growth to many out of the suffering of one. Why are these stories so important to read? Because we can see, in a short time, how the story goes from suffering to salvation. What took years to develop, sometimes not even in the lifetime of the one suffering, we can read and learn from in hours. These books are a great reminder that God is working a similar narrative through our lives if we are obedient to His call and His commands. Today we start one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, the book of Job. This book of the Bible serves as a window into the life of a suffering believer. It's one of my favorite books because it clearly displays the reality that God is God and I am not. I can't help but have my view of God raised each time that I read this book. Let's start by unpacking some of the broader themes in this book before we dive into today's reading. First, do we trust our sovereign God in the midst of difficulty? That is one of the ultimate questions posed in the book of Job. We will also see that the reasons for suffering are often not revealed to men and are a secret that belongs to the Lord alone. And we'll be reminded that although God is concerned with man, Loving us to the point of sending his only son to die for our sins, he isn't concerned with answering every question that we have about him. As a matter of fact, he is not obligated to do this in any way. We'll also get a glimpse into the danger of oversimplifying experiences with poor theology exemplified through Job's friends throughout this book. We are given a handbook on what not to do or what not to say to our friends who are in distress. Overall, as one commentator puts it, It was written to those who struggle with the justice of a sovereign God in a world filled with suffering. Today, we dive into the first three chapters. We learn right away that Job is a faithful man, blameless and upright, it says. These are the same words used to describe Noah and Abraham. And we also learn that God has blessed Job immensely with children, livestock, and servants. Then we get into some of the most unique passages in all of scripture. Satan is before God explaining that he has been roaming the earth. And we know from 1 Peter 5.8, what he is roaming the earth looking to do to devour like a lion, those who align themselves with the Lord. Then in verse eight, it says this, did you catch this? And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God draws Satan's attention to Job, which will ultimately kick off intense suffering by Job for the rest of this book. Keep that fact in mind. Keep it in the back of your mind for when we get to the end of this book and God responds to Job with a powerful monologue about his sovereignty and glory. In response to God's provocation, Satan doesn't think Job will pass the test, that he will curse God, but eventually the sufferings begin. Job loses all of his livestock and servants, and more importantly, all of his children are killed. From one minute to the next, Job could honestly say that he lost everything. But how does he respond? 
says that he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Job understands the reality that God is sovereign and nothing can happen to Job without God's decree. That goes back to God's statement to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Now, in chapter 2, once again, Satan comes on the scene and gets permission to attack Job, this time with his health. So Satan strikes Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And now we're going to learn about a few other characters in this story, Job's wife and Job's friends. His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, Job's three buddies show up after they hear of what had happened to Job. Their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And it says, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. We'll find out soon that although they had great intentions, their theology is incorrect. Therefore, they comfort Job from a low view of of God, and it just doesn't work. Chapter 3 now is a poem that Job recites, essentially cursing his birth. It's a very interesting poem, one that God will later both criticize and commend. In Job's humanity, he is weak, but his perspective of God is still intact. As we start the book of Job today, it's important to start by worshiping the Lord that he never changes. Regardless of our changing circumstances, that sometimes includes intense suffering, we can rely on the fact that God never changes. Even if God says tomorrow, have you considered my servant Charlie? I can, with eternal confidence, believe that anything that happens to me will work out for my good and God's glory. I can also be confident that despite pain and suffering, God will always give me a way to escape temptation to sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 And if you are suffering right now, I encourage you to lean into this book. It's tempting to retreat from a conversation about God's sovereignty when suffering is present, but I encourage you to do the opposite. Lean into what God is doing in the story, because that is who God is in your story. And my prayer is that by the time we get through all 42 chapters, you will have a higher view of God. You won't have all the answers as to how or why your suffering exists, as Job won't either. But I pray that you will learn to trust that God knows, and that's enough. The Psalms have a way of calibrating our hearts to a few simple truths. God is holy and we are not, which goes right in alignment with the book of Job. Psalm 99 repeats the truth that God is holy over and over again. And it's so important for us to be reminded again and again that God is holy if we are to grow our view of him and understand our relationship with him as people who are not holy. This truth sets the table for our need for him. Without God, we can't find forgiveness for our sins and we can never be holy as he is holy. If you are struggling with why God is who he is and sovereignly oversees suffering in our life, then a study of his holiness is just what the doctor ordered. When we study the holiness of God, we realize that he is in a category with no one and answers to no one, not even those who are created in his image. When we study his holiness, it brings into focus very important truths that lay a foundation for some of our most pressing questions. You see, when we focus on God's holiness, we start to even see God's mercy and justice correctly. Most people naturally think we are entitled to God's mercy and don't deserve his justice, when it's actually the other way around. We are entitled to God's justice, 
and we don't deserve God's mercy. By default, we all deserve punishment for our sin. We deserve to suffer from the moment we are born into sin. But by God's common grace, we are born and live a life on earth that is filled with common blessings that are there by the hand of God. And we are given a chance to respond to God's ultimate gift of grace, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like the owner of a business, God has every right to say to us, I don't work for you. It's not uncommon to see people dumbfounded that God would send anyone to hell when in reality, we should be dumbfounded that God allows anyone into heaven. God's grace is amazing because God's holiness is amazing. A God as holy as our God has every right to cast us sinners away, but he has drawn us near to him as children through the blood of Christ. The last two verses of Psalm 99 say it well, O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. And because Christ is our God and he is our holy Savior, we listen to what he says throughout the totality of Scripture. Today in Luke, we read three quick rapid-fire teachings from Christ. First, Christ makes a few statements regarding the division that his life, death, and resurrection will ultimately cause. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, which isn't probably referring to final judgment, but rather he's describing the intensity of division over Christ that we will experience. Then he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, referring to his crucifixion. Jesus was all in on this dividing plan as he goes on to explain how even families will experience division over him in the future. This is a great passage to dog here and come back to when you start to see family and friends walk away from you because of your alliance with Christ. As painful as that is, it's a comfort to know that it is indeed part of Christ's plan. Jesus then goes on to rebuke the crowd for not interpreting the time. They should know that Jesus is the arrival of the kingdom of God, but because of their hypocrisy, they are blind. This is a good reminder for us. We must know the scripture so well as to interpret God's will and delineate between what is part of God's will and the world's ways. This will help us understand what is a distraction and what is worthy of our time. Finally, Jesus gives us some practical advice about avoiding court, settling with an accuser before going to the judge. But is that really all he's saying? In light of the previous passage, it seems that Christ is urging the crowd to settle with the Lord. Repent, of your sins before you stand before the ultimate judge. Now, thousands of years later, those of us reading this passage must also repent. First and foremost, we must be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, responding to the gospel, that he died to pay the penalty for our sins. Have you responded to that good news by putting your trust in Christ, by turning from your old life and giving all authority to Christ in your own life? If not, today is the day. If you have, you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then let's pray for God to search our hearts to see if there's anything we need to repent of. If Christ returns today, may we be found confident that we have sought out and killed the sin in our life today, not delaying in obedience. But as we think about the return of Jesus Christ, let's not live in anxiety over the return of our King, but in hopeful anticipation. It seems that the Thessalonians may have been anxious over the how and when of Christ's return. And that is what Paul is responding to in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11 today. Paul even says, You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
It's as if Paul is saying, listen, we went over this and you know that no one knows when Christ will return, but because you're anxious, I will remind you. Paul uses this chance to remind them that they should not be surprised in a bad way by Christ's return because they will be caught doing his work as children of light. Paul reminds them that the world will be caught off guard because they belong to the night, getting drunk and not being sober-minded. And he ends this passage by saying, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul, like a good spiritual father of the Thessalonians, ends on a note that isn't critical, but rather encouraging. Keep serving the Lord and each other. And when Christ returns, it will be a sweet surprise for both the living, you guys, and the dead, your late Christian brothers and sisters. What a gift that the Lord doesn't tell us when Christ is coming back. I mean, think about it. If we knew, we would most likely get distracted by so many human tactics. Instead, we just keep doing the Lord's work faithfully. When I was a kid, I remember being home alone before my dad got home from work. I would intentionally leave some dishes in the sink throughout the day so that when I saw his truck pull in the driveway, I could start doing the dishes so he caught me doing work when he got home. Isn't that what we would trick ourselves into doing if we knew exactly when Christ was returning? Work for the Lord would become a tactic for earning favor instead of a lifestyle out of a devotion for our King. It's common that our devotion to the Lord and the work that follows results in suffering of some kind. Although our lives aren't laid out in a biography for us to read now, may we gain confidence and encouragement from those who have gone before us, whether it's the Apostle Paul, Job, or even Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. We can look back to examine how God works, how God uses suffering for the good of his saints, and ultimately for his glory. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Ben Blakey will be back on August 25th. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.